Ruth chapter 4, we are going to complete our series on the book of Ruth this morning. Have you enjoyed this time in the book of Ruth? I hope you have. In Ruth chapter 1, we enjoyed a message on decisions that determines destiny. In Ruth chapter 2, we got a beautiful picture of God's amazing grace. In Ruth chapter 3, we got to look at five ways to draw closer to God. That's always important, amen? And today we're going to get a beautiful picture of God's redeeming love. The book of Ruth has a happy ending. Can you say amen? But it didn't start happily. It began with funerals, but it ends with a wedding. It began with a famine but it ends with fullness. It began with weeping, but in this fourth and final chapter, joy has come. Can you say amen? How many of you, let's just stop for a minute before we roll deep into this. How many of you could use some joy this morning? I mean, can't we all use some joy this morning? Amen? How many of you know that the book of Ruth is not isolated to just the people in this story? Amen? You know, I've had a tendency in a lot of my lifetime to look at these people in the Bible and say, what a wonderful thing it must be to have been talked about in the Bible. You know, I don't think I've ever been mentioned in any book, right? Until this morning, I'm writing here, and I'm thinking about how I used to feel about that, and the Holy Spirit rose up on the inside of me and told me, you are in the book. You, you have been written about. It's not just Ruth, amen? It's everybody in the room. We could stop right now and take off in the Word of God, and I could tell you things about yourself in the Word that you were written about. Isn't that right, Connie? And we would miss some meals. We'd be here for a long time talking about you in the book. Amen? And the Holy Spirit reminded me, it's not, not the only book your name is written in. Amen? There is another book called the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? We, we, if we don't sense the joy of the Lord being our strength inside of us today, just over that right there. I mean, we could just almost fold up and go home, but we're not. <laughs> Amen? We're not. So it began with weeping, but in this fourth and final chapter, joy has come. In Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, now listen to this, because I, I have to refer to this passage of Scripture, because once again, you may think, how many times have we falling into this trap of thinking, I don't deserve, I don't deserve all this mercy that God gives me. Only if you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Amen? If we deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. It's not about deserving. It's about a loving Father in heaven. Amen? But in, and and, and what, why do I say that? Because it comes back around to Ruth. This wasn't supposed to happen for Ruth. Ruth was under a curse. She was a Moabite. And God had announced a, a curse on Moab and on the Moabites. And she was under a curse, and all of these wonderful things shouldn't have been able to happen for her. But God, but God, amen, who's rich in mercy, amen. In Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, have, how many of you have ever felt that you know, I've said this before, but I know when I've been taken by God out behind the woodshed, don't you? Because if he loves you, he disciplines you, right? Right? 
But it says in Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Amen? His favor is for a lifetime. Remember that Ruth is a picture of us, the church. Amen? The bride of Christ. Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. Ruth was a Moabitess, and Boaz was an Israelite. Ruth was a stranger from a hateful nation that had a curse upon it. She was alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Boaz redeemed her, brought her in, and married her. Amen? So I want you to pay attention to this. It it, it depends on what version of the Bible you're reading. But the King James Version, I think it shows up 15 times in chapter 4. And what, what have I told you before? If a word keeps showing up over and over and over again in a short space, period of time, or if it shows up many hundreds of times over the New Testament or the Bible, pay attention to it. It's important. Amen. The word redeemed, redeemer, redemption shows up at least 15 times, and I believe it's 13 times in the English Standard Version. Anyway, in that short a chapter of the book of the Bible, that's a lot. Amen. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 4. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will what? If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you, and he said, I will redeem it. In Ruth chapter 4, we find three beautiful pictures of God's gift of salvation. And we're going to examine those. First of all, we see a picture of our redeeming Lord. A picture of our redeeming Lord. That's the first one, the first picture. In Ruth chapter 4, and I'll be reading passages of Scripture through a number of times to be able to point out different things to you. But in Ruth chapter 4, beginning verse 1, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside, and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, because now look, what did he say? He said, I'll buy it, right? And then Boaz points out to him everything he's got to do, right? The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. How selfish is that? Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, what have we been doing lately? We, we went to the story of the Good Samaritan, and we saw pictures in the story of the Good Samaritan of Jesus. We saw pictures of Adam and fallen man. 
We saw pictures of the scribe and the Pharisee. They represented the law, and they couldn't do anything for him. They wouldn't because, really, they couldn't. The law never has and never will save anyone. Only Jesus Christ can save. Amen? So what do you have a picture here again of? You have a picture of the law that is powerless to redeem. Does that make sense to you? This redeemer, he was, may have been the first in line. The law may have come first, but it could not do anything and would not do anything for Ruth. Does that make sense? And there was even fear on his part that it would affect, it would, it would affect his, his inheritance. So he didn't want to, he didn't want anything to do with it, right? So he says, Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So, there were two laws of ancient Israel that came into play in Ruth chapter 4. The law of the kinsman redeemer, we're not going to read all of Leviticus chapter 25. I'm going to hit the highlights with you. In ancient Israel, God would give land to a tribe and a family. If the landowner mortgaged his land or went into bankruptcy and had to sell his land, a near relative, a kinsman redeemer, could redeem that land and buy it back. Then there was the law of the Leverite marriage in Deuteronomy chapter 25. If a married couple had no children and the husband died, then the man's brother was to take the man's wife, who was now a widow, and marry her and endeavor to have children in order to keep the man's name alive. Therefore, there was a kinsman redeemer who could buy back the land and the kinsman who could marry the widow to raise up children. Now listen to this. There were three things that were necessary in order for a man to be able to buy back the lost estate and marry the widow who came with the estate. First of all, he had to have the legal qualifications. The law had first shot, but the law didn't have any desire to redeem her. That's what it boils down to, right? And it had to be a near kinsman, and Boaz was second in line. He was the near kinsman, right? He had to have the money to do it. He had to be wealthy enough. He had to be willing to do it. And it was not by this time in Israel, and in reality from the beginning, from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, none of them were forced to do it. They couldn't be forced to do it. Does that make sense to you? It couldn't be forced upon Boaz. These qualifications picture our redeeming Lord. Boaz was legally worthy. Romans chapter 4 verse 6 again. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it. Boaz was legally worthy and was ready to buy back the land and marry Ruth, but there was a nearer kinsman than he. The near kinsman who could not redeem represents Adam. Adam couldn't save us, amen? We were all related to Adam. In Adam, we all die. And then in Ruth chapter 4, back up to verse 2, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Now, what was Boaz doing? Boaz gathered together 10 witnesses in the gate. Pay attention to every little detail in the Bible. When you start looking for those things in a story that represent other things, don't you think it's kind of a strange thing that he called 10 men to be witnesses of the entire transaction 
and there happened to be, how many different ten things are there in the Bible? Oh, there were ten commandments, right? But they represented initially the law. Amen? All right. Now, the near kinsman, so full of himself and selfishness, lest he mar his own inheritance, could not and would not redeem her. But there was one who was next in line willing to redeem. How many of you know that our Lord Jesus Christ became a human being so that he might become our near kinsman? Amen? Had he not come in the flesh, he could not be our near kinsman. You know, not only the plan that we learned about in Ephesians chapter uh, 1 was so dynamic, it was so perfect. The plan was perfect. And he hid it in Christ, amen, until the day of our redemption. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So, because Jesus came and lived in the flesh, he was legally worthy. He had to redeem us as man in order to be our near kinsman. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to go to Revelation. What a, what a powerful book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 5, I'm going to start reading verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, and seven horns with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The book referred to in this passage is the title deed to earth, the official document that determines the outcome of all history. Jesus bought and paid for that. Jesus alone is worthy. How many of you know that Jesus is what we call an understatement, but lavishly wealthy? He was lavishly, he is lavishly wealthy, and Boaz was pretty wealthy himself, amen? There was never any doubt or any question about Boaz's ability and wealth enough to redeem Ruth. But he had to be willing. Aren't you glad that Christ was willing and obedient? Amen. 
Boaz was a mighty man of wealth, but Jesus paid a far greater price for us than Boaz paid for Ruth. I, I wrote four passages of Scripture down here. I want to share them with you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Then in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus brought us back, bought us back with his blood, and he did it. Jesus was lovingly willing. Boaz didn't have to buy Ruth, nor did Lord Jesus have to buy us. He does not love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because he loved us. Amen? Isn't that powerful? In 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. The next one, which is already on the board, a picture of our renewed life. Second picture, a picture of our renewed life. Ruth chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal, handed it to him. Ruth had three major problems. And without Christ, we share these same problems. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember that you were at, at that time separated from Christ. Was not, you couldn't be more separated from Israel than be a Moabite under a curse, amen? And we were, without Christ, we were under a curse, amen? Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. I'm looking at a totally, there it's back, a totally and completely blank screen. If you think that's not unnerving, you, you've never been up here before. <laughs> All right. That's pretty funny, though, isn't it? All right. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Her past was cursed. Our past was cursed. Amen? She lived under a curse. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3 said, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. The Moabites were descendants of Lot. Listen to this carefully. The Moabites were descendants of Lot who had a child through an incestuous relationship with his daughter, and the curse was upon them. According to the law, the law could not admit Ruth. 
So is the case with each of us. In Adam, we all die. Her present then, her present as it was before Boaz came into her life was crushed. Amen? Remember again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, what did we learn? Ruth was a stranger to the things of God. She was without Christ or she was without the blessings of Israel. Amen? Her life was marked by tragedy and sorrow. Isn't all of our lives without Christ marked with tragedy and sorrow? Amen? The joys of a life with Christ were not hers. Her future was condemned. Her future without God was hopeless. The word redeem means to purchase or to buy back. It can also mean to buy out, to take out of the marketplace. It also means to set free. When our Lord redeemed us, not only did he buy us, but he took us out of the marketplace. We are no longer for sale. Amen? This speaks of our security. We are free in Christ. Romans chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off the sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off the sandal. As was the custom, the nearer kinsman who could not redeem took off his shoe and handed it to Boaz. When Jesus paid for our sins, he took our place. He stood in our shoes, so to speak. As Boaz stood in the shoes of the nearer kinsman, Jesus stood in our shoes and pray, paid the price that we could not pay. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now we come to the next picture. A picture of our restored legacy. In Ruth chapter 4, verses 10 through 17, it says, Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought to be I have bought my bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place your witnesses this day then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said we are witnesses may the lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Wow, isn't that powerful? Let me look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. How many times does that word redeemer and redeem keep showing up? And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher, nourisher of old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Thy name, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Isn't that great? She has a restored legacy. She's not only going to live now in Israel under great blessings. I told you this before, but it's powerful. 
As a poor woman, unmarried, a widow, wearing mourning clothes, got dirty in the fields gathering wheat from the field, she would soon own the field that she was begging in. Amen? And now not only does she own the field she was begging in at one time, don't tell me God can't make changes, amen? That God can't change the picture, amen? Now she owns the field. Now she's, you know, she's married to Boaz. She owns the field. And those same Israelites that would have used the curse of the Moabites against her at one time are now standing at her wedding speaking blessings over her. God has made her very enemies now to love her, to take her in, to cherish her, and to speak blessings on her, right? And in those blessings was that she would be fruitful. So she bore a child, and Naomi was as blessed as she was because of the birth of that child. Can you say amen? I can tell you that a new baby in the family, that's... If I had more thumbs, they would be up. <laughs> Amen? It's wonderful. What a tremendous blessing. Amen? All right. So, all right. What, what happened here now? So we have a picture of our restored legacy. There are just a few points I'm going to make and we'll be done. Amen? But my prayer for you today is that you're watching carefully. Because, see, you may be listening to the lies of the devil telling you right now, but God really loved Ruth. Yeah, God loved Ruth, but he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. So don't tell me that he loved Ruth more than he loved you. Amen? All right. So there are some things that Ruth received. What did she receive? Remember now, she is a widow. She has clung to Naomi. She has claimed Naomi as family, but does she really have a family yet? What did she do? First point under a picture of our restored legacy is Ruth received a family. You know what? That's one of the most important things that we talk about around here and we pray about and we carry through with. You know what? We're family. We are a growing family. Amen? We are a growing family. Ruth received a family. In Ruth chapter 10, verse 10. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. Uh, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. When you are saved, you become a part of the family of God. Amen? So, first thing she received was a family. The second thing she received, get ready now, she received a fortune. Listen, you know, I've, I've had some relatives, you know, that have aged and, and, and they've gone to be with the Lord. I, I'll give you an example. I told my mother-in-law, she was trying to explain to Ruth and me that she, want, she had this desire to leave something for us. I stopped her. I'm the son-in-law, right? So what did she just say? She's wanting to give us money, right? 
I stopped her because I loved her. And I said, Mom, I want you to live to be 120 and spend it all because I love her. I preferred the family even over money, right? But, but you're part of a family, amen? And, and, and Jesus already died on the cross for us, has been resurrected, and our fortune is available to us. You say, well, brother, I sure could use some of that. I'm facing some financial challenges. Listen, you're looking at a man who was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, all right? And I've told you over and over again, what I'm trying to tell you is if God has to set the, set the plates on the table and get ready to eat. And you know I'm not joking when I tell you that because God will put food on that plate if he has to. All right? Because you say, well, Brother Dennis, I've heard your story. God didn't exactly put food on your plate. Yes, he did. A man I'd never met in my life knocked on my door with four bags of groceries and said, I hope you're not, I hope you're not insulted by this, but I'm driving by here. Now it's 5 o'clock in the evening. He drove by at 7 in the morning. The need was already met. Do you understand what I'm saying? God had told him, I want you to bring food to that house this afternoon, right? Now in the meantime, from 7 in the morning to 5 in the evening, I'm out there scrambling. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do my part. Do you understand what I'm saying, you know? Well, what was God saying to me? God was saying, don't sweat this. I got it. No, you don't have to do anything that today, but watch what I do. Amen? You know, just watch my hand move, right? So what am I going to say to a full-blown stranger standing at my door and four bags of groceries when he says, please don't be hurt by this or offended or upset? How do you tell the man without weeping through the tears that you're not offended? Amen? Because God, and I just got through being angry with Father. Don't you think he knew? Father knew, and he loved me anyway. He didn't tell the man in the car, whoops, that guy's messing up. Turn around, <laughs> leave, take the groceries home with you. Feed them to somebody else, right? God brought the blessing anyway. Amen? Isn't that great? Ruth chapter 4, verse 10, after Ruth received a fortune. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native people. You are witnesses this day. No longer is Ruth gleaning the fields. She owns the field. She shares in the wealth of Boaz. As Christians, we are joint heirs with Jesus. Start letting it work. Amen? Quit doubting. Start letting it work. Amen? Isn't that powerful? Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Look, I'm going to tell you, that, what that scripture is telling you, it's not always going to be the circumstances of your life are not always going to be glorious. But the redemption is. Amen? The myriad different ways that Father manifests your inheritance in your life is glorious. Amen? Sometimes it just doesn't feel good. Does it? I mean, if, you know, we're not saved by our feelings, though. But it feels good to feel good. Amen? And you know what? I have very little to say 
about the tough times in my life because when I look back, back on them, I, I realize right away, I'm, at least God has blessed me with enough intelligence to know that I brought it on myself. The tough times I brought on myself. Poor quality or poor decision-making versus quality decision-making. Amen? I think it's all in what we embrace. Amen? Think of this with me. Even today, this Moabite under a curse is spoken of in reverent terms today. Amen? God, God help us. Amen? If we know Jesus, we're part of royalty, married into the family of God. Amen? So we got family, we got fortune. What's the next one, Nathan? Ruth received fruitfulness. Ruth received fruitfulness. Yeah, it was on the next page, but that's okay. <laughs> no, it's not there. Okay. All right. All right, here we go. Ruth received fruitfulness, all right? All right, in 411, again, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. How many children did Rachel and Leah have? A whole bunch, right? You know? All right. Like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. So we've, we've been having a lot of fun lately looking at what words mean in the Bible, right? Ephrathah means fruitful. Isn't that powerful? To me, well, to me it's powerful, right? Uh, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and Ephrathah means fruitful. In John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, be, should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Isn't that powerful? And the last point, Ruth received a future. That's not there either, huh? <laughs> Ruth received a future. Isn't that powerful? I believe it is powerful. All right, in Ruth chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and became his nurse, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You know, isn't it powerful that that's not very many generations away from her being under curse and all that to all of a sudden being in lineage and line of Christ? And that somebody who would, a major portion of the Old Testament be written about that, that person, David. And, and, and he didn't have to go back too far to get to the Moabite woman, right, in his line, right? Ruth's son, Obed, was the grandfather of David, the ancestry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, conclusion. I wrote one line for my conclusion. And it, and it overwhelms me. If people only knew what they have in Christ Jesus, then we wouldn't keep them away. We couldn't keep them away from following him if they only knew. Amen? But I'm going to tell you something that seriously concerns me, and I say this word and phrase as a man of God. I say that humbly. I struggle to get the children of God 
to know it, much less the unsaved. God help us if people only knew what they have in Christ Jesus. It amazes me, and I'm not mad, I'm not angry, I'm not, it's none of those things. It just, it breaks my heart to see what makes us stumble. The things that we will stumble over shouldn't even be in the room. God help us all, amen? What a powerful story. One last passage of Scripture. I can't even pronounce these names, but in Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. If I had told Christians that have been serving God all their lives, name the people in this lineage, we don't get sharper at it until Ruth entered the picture. Until something divine happened. You know? But those last few names, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, and David, they spark something in us. I mean, that family tree took a whole different powerful alley to travel down because God was working in their lives can you say amen have you enjoyed the book of Ruth I'm telling you I'm telling you when you look at it decisions that determines destiny Ruth chapter 1 Ruth chapter 2 amazing grace Ruth chapter 3 five ways to draw closer to God and Ruth chapter 4 was a beautiful picture of God's redeeming love. My prayer for you is that, you know, that you become people that look at the word and ask questions. Father's not afraid of questions, all right? When you start asking, why does this scripture say this? What is God saying to me? God loves those kinds of questions. And the Holy Spirit, the teacher, will rush and rise up on the inside of you and will teach willing students. If all you're getting in your life from the word of God is coming through me, you're malnourished. I mean, I love you, and I love to teach, right? I love to teach this book. But it goes along with me encouraging you to be children that love God enough to be children of the word. Amen? Children of prayer. Amen. Remembering that you're in the family. Everything's going to be all right. Amen. You may be this very morning. You may have been focused on a certain problem in your life. God already knows the end of that matter. How many times in our lives have we reached the end of some chapter of our life and wondered to ourselves, why did I worry so? Why did I allow myself to be so buried? Amen? I was on my way to church this morning praying for you, and these were some of the things God laid on my heart.
I hope and pray you've been blessed to be in this room today. We're going to pray together. Amen. Look, folks, we're moving forward. But do you, do you see the platform, the foundation that God's been laying in our lives over even, you know, for a long time? Amen. We're reaping the benefits of God's building the foundation of Christ in our lives and the foundation of the word, and we're moving forward, onward and upward. I don't know about you, but to me, it feels good. You want me to pray for you, stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for me, and I want to pray for you too. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you once again for your word. Lord, I get glimpses sometimes of, I mean, I'm always, always aware that you love me. But every now and then, I get glimpses of the depth of that love and the value that you've placed on our lives. Father, we desperately need the help of your spirit to cause us to live our lives in ways that the unsaved see with their eyes and hear with their ears and know in their hearts and minds that we're different because we're children of God. Help us, Father, to be able to share Jesus Christ properly. Help us always, Father, in Jesus' name, to give an account of ourselves, Lord, in a way that conveys this love that we know we've been touched and filled with. Father, help us to live our lives in ways that make other people hungry, to see their hunger, to see their need. I come against the rebellion that has buried so many people and caused them to be blind and deaf and keep them from hearing and seeing and understanding. Father, I believe in all, all of my heart if they only knew, only knew what you had for them, Father. We couldn't keep them away. Lord, to me, that's true revival is getting that truth out there, Lord. So help us in Jesus' name at Life Spring Bible Church to live our lives for you to listen carefully to you, to be obedient to you, Father, and to evangelize our neighborhood, our neighborhoods, our city, our state, our nation, and our world for you. Lord, people could look around the room and say, well, I only see 30 or 40 people. I mean, how are we going to make a difference? Father, I, I mean, there was only 120 in the upper room and the whole early church was born. I thank you, Father, that those numbers aren't the important numbers. You being number one, that's the important number. You being number one. Father, I thank you once again, Lord, that though we're only together many times on Sunday mornings and maybe a couple other meetings a week, we're a family because you, you're, the blood of your son is the lifeblood that runs through us and causes us to be fellow heirs. Now, Father, I thank you that your spirit goes with us and keeps us safe. But, Lord, this message of evangelism calls it to rise up within us. So many people are lost and dying and going to hell. And, Father, I don't want us to be comfortable with that anymore or silent or uncaring or untouched. Restore us, Father, with Jesus, the epitome of evangelism. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Fellowship together before you leave here today.